Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 6th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. In a closely watched employment law case, the California Supreme Court ruled that the premium paid by an employer for a missed break are classified by the Labor Code as wages, which require penalties if not paid on time. The employer in this case was Spectrum Security Services, a company that provides secure custodial services to federal agencies. The company transports and guards prisoners and detainees who require outside medical attention or have other appointments outside of custodial facilities. The lead plaintiff in the class action, Gustavo Narango, was a guard employed by Spectrum. Narango was suspended and later fired after leaving his post to take a meal break in violation of a Spectrum policy that required custodial employees to remain on duty during all meal breaks. Mr. Narango filed a putative class action on behalf of Spectrum employees, alleging that Spectrum had violated state meal break requirements under the Labor Code and the applicable Industrial Welfare Commission wage order. The class action complaint sought an additional hour of pay, commonly referred to as premium pay, for each day on which Spectrum failed to provide employees a legally compliant meal break. Spectrum was also required to report the premium pay on employees' wage statements and timely provide the pay to employees upon their discharge or resignation, which they had not done. The complaint sought the damages and penalties prescribed by the Labor Code as well as prejudgment interest for all members of the class action. The trial court certified a class for the meal break and related timely payment claims and wage statement claims and then held a trial in stages. After conclusion of the trial, the court entered judgment for the plaintiff class on the meal break and wage statement claims and awarded attorney fees and prejudgment interest at the rate of 10%. Both sides appealed the decision, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court's determination that Spectrum had violated the meal break laws, but reversed the court's holding that a failure to pay meal break premiums could support claims under the wage statement and timely payment statutes, since it found that Spectrum pay was not wages subject to these penalty statutes. The Court of Appeal also lowered the rate of prejudgment interest from 10 to 7% a year. Now, the California Supreme Court disagreed with the Court of Appeal and concluded that the extra pay constitutes wages subject to the same timing and reporting rules as other forms of compensation for work, but agreed with the Court of Appeal that the 7% default interest rate set by the state constitution applies in this case. The California's meal and rest break requirements date back to 1916 and 1932, respectively, when the newly created Industrial Welfare Commission included the requirements in a series of wage orders. But for most of the century, the law offered limited tools for enforcement. The only remedy available to employees was injunctive relief aimed at preventing future abuse. Then in 2000, the Industrial Welfare Commission was concerned 
that the injunctive remedy had not given employers enough incentive to comply with the law. So it added a new monetary remedy. Employees denied a meal or rest break on a given day would be due one hour of additional pay at the employer's regular rate of compensation. That same year, the legislature followed suit by enacting Labor Code Section 226.7, providing essentially the same remedy. The Labor Code reflects a determination that work in such circumstances is worth more or should cost the employer more than other work and so requires payment of a premium wage. The opinion then concluded that missed break premium pay is comparable to other forms of payment for working under conditions of hardship and that the extra pay constitutes wages subject to the same timing and reporting rules as other forms of compensation for work. When an employment relationship comes to an end, the labor code requires employers to promptly pay any unpaid wages to the departing employee. And in another case, a federal judge in Northern California granted final approval to a $12 million settlement and a wage and hour class action against Rite Aid. The company operates retail drugstores throughout the United States, including approximately 544 stores in California. Several California Rite Aid employees filed a uh, class action lawsuit against Rite Aid and its subsidiary, Thrifty Payless Incorporated, back in 2019. The employees alleged that Rite Aid's Team Colors policy which required them to buy and wear navy blue tops and khaki pants to work, qualified as a uniform, and therefore Rite Aid violated state wage law by failing to reimburse them for these expenses. Rite Aid responded by saying its store-issued vests were also an option. Therefore, it was a worker's personal choice if they bought a uniform or not. Its written company policy allows for what Rite Aid called the blue vest alternative. The workers argued it did not matter if a store-issued vest was an option because in 71.5% of the stores, there were no company-supplied vests available. And the workers also argued that by requiring members of the putative class action to purchase their own uniforms, Rite Aid effectively pushes their wages below the legal minimum wage, which requires additional damages and penalties. This class includes about 25,000 non-exempt Rite Aid employees, excluding pharmacists, pharmacy interns, and asset protection agents who worked at California stores. The workers filed an unopposed motion for preliminary approval of their settlement, just a month before the case was set for trial and after four mediation sessions. The settlement provides an average reimbursement of $600 gross and $365 net to each class member, which includes the cost of the uniform plus a compromised amount for potential penalties. And a WCAB panel decision concluded that an employer was illegally uninsured despite having an out-of-state workers' compensation insurance policy with an all-states endorsement. 
In this case, the injured worker, Ken Stabler, sustained a continuous trauma industrial injury while employed as a professional football player. He was employed by the Oakland Raiders, Houston Oilers, and New Orleans Saints during the cumulative trauma period. His benefits were awarded against the Saints and their carrier, the Travelers. Travelers insured the Saints prior to Mr. Stabler's last year of injurious exposure. Since no carriers were identified during the last year of injurious exposure, they were held liable for his benefits pursuant to Labor Code Section 5500.5. Travelers then alleged that the Saints were unlawfully uninsured during his last year of injurious exposure, and the Saints alleged that they were covered by Northwest Insurance Company and by Horizon Insurance Company. But the Saints were unable to locate the alleged Northwest policy, and there is no Northwest policy in evidence. And Northwest Insurance Company was liquidated by the Oregon Insurance Guarantee Association in 1999. Travelers filed a petition for reimbursement against the Saints directly, seeking reimbursement of more than $87,000 for benefits paid. After a trial, primarily focused on the issue of whether the Saints were unlawfully uninsured, the War Comp judge found that there was no evidence showing that the Saints were covered by a workers' compensation policy issued by Northwest, and that the Saints did have workers' comp coverage with First Horizon Insurance Company, and thus the Saints were not unlawfully uninsured during the last year of injurious exposure. But reconsideration was granted and the WCAB panel found that the Saints were indeed illegally uninsured and ordered that the Saints reimburse travelers in its panel decision. In their briefing, travelers contended that the First Horizon policy did not provide workers' compensation coverage because First Horizon was not licensed by the California Department of Insurance to issue policies. And travelers also argued that by the terms of the First Horizon policy, including the All States endorsement, did not provide workers' compensation insurance in any state except Louisiana. The WCB panel noted that workers' compensation insurance policies in California are subject to regulation by the Department of Insurance. All workers' compensation policies must contain a clause to the effect that the insurer will be directly and primarily liable to any claimant for payment of compensation. First Horizon agreed to be directly and primarily responsible for providing benefits to applicants under the laws of Louisiana in coverage A of the policy. But unlike coverage A, coverage B, the so-called All States Endorsement, is an agreement that Horizon will reimburse the employer for liability imposed on the employer under the workers' compensation laws of states other than Louisiana. The Saints could obtain reimbursement from First Horizon for California claims, but the insurance agreement does not require First Horizon to directly pay benefits to a California applicant. Thus, the coverage provided for California claims is similar to an excess policy. First Horizon promises reimbursement, but not payment directly to the worker. For these reasons, the Saints did not secure the payment of compensation 
as required by the labor code, and they were therefore illegally uninsured. And in regulatory news, back in January, progressive California Democrats vowed to adopt the toughest COVID vaccine requirements in the country. Their proposals would have required most Californians to get the shots to go to work or work without any exemptions. So they unveiled eight bills to require vaccinations, combat misinformation, and improve vaccine data. Two were sweeping mandates that would have required employees of most indoor businesses to get the vaccine and added COVID, COVID vaccines to the list of immunizations required for schools. But this month, most of the proposed legislation imploded as the lawmakers pulled most of their bills before the first votes. One major vaccine proposal survived, but faces an uphill battle. It would allow children ages 12 to 17 to get a COVID-19 vaccine without parental consent. Workplace vaccine mandates were strongly opposed by firefighter and police unions whose membership would have been subject to the requirement. And one of the legislatures involved in these bills said that the public safety unions who oppose the bills are the ones that carry the weight and influence in Sacramento. Democrats also blamed the failure of their vaccine mandates on the changing nature and perception of the pandemic. They said the measures became unnecessary as case rates declined earlier this year and the public became less focused on the pandemic. Political pressure from businesses and public safety groups and from moderate Democrats, along with vocal opposition from anti-vaccine activists, also contributed to the implosion. Other states have also largely failed to adopt COVID vaccine requirements this year. Washington, D.C. was the only jurisdiction to pass legislation to add the COVID vaccine to the list of requirement, required immunizations for K-12 students once the shots have received full FDA approval for children of those ages. A public school mandate adopted by Louisiana in December 2021 was rescinded in May. The most popular vaccine legislation has been to ban COVID vaccine mandates of any kind, which at least 19 states passed. CEO Magazine published annual best and worst states for business survey of CEOs for 2022 as it has since 2001 and based on its polling of nearly 700 CEOs and business owners from every state in the United States, Texas, and Florida held on to their number one and number two spots this year, continuing their long-running lock on the top of the rankings. Their combination of fast-growth population and a low-tax, low-regulation business climate is proven to attract companies. Texas has enjoyed an era of stunning growth based on a broadening of its economy to automobile production, digital technology development, and shared services, as well as the traditional base of oil, gas, and refining. And last fall, Samsung announced its investment of $17.1 billion to construct a microchip factory outside of Austin, Texas. 
Similarly, Florida and Tennessee at numbers two and three have welcomed continuing streams of new corporate investments, such as Ford's recent multi-billion dollar commitment to Tennessee to build electric vehicles there. Arizona climbed six spots this year to number four in the rankings, thanks in part to the most laissez-faire pandemic shutdown policies in the West. States at the bottom of the list continue to suffer from reputations for high taxes, regulations, and costs of living, with Washington at number 46, followed by New Jersey, Illinois, New York, and California in number 50, the last place number in the list of best to worst states, all unchanged in their rankings from previous years. And in medical news, Acilius is a privately held commercial stage medical technology company focused on accelerating the adoption of minimally invasive spine surgery as the standard of care in surgical treatment. It has a portfolio of minimally invasive spinal implants, leveraging its proprietary adaptive geometry technology and a compact precision robotics platform. The company is headquartered in Florida, where its corporate offices, machine shop, biomechanical testing, quality, warehouse, and distribution, as well as its Axelius Clinical Education Cadaver Lab is housed. Axelius opened a second location in Boulder, Colorado in late 2021 with its robotic and navigation research and development offices and laboratory. And now its third 5,722-square-foot Carlsbad, California office opened in early 2022 and features the company's second surgical education lab. The team in Carlsbad hosted their first surgical labs in late March 2022 and trained surgeons on the use of the robotic platform and its products. The company claims that the robotic market is currently the first-generation robotic entries, which are very kludgy, cumbersome, and complex product offerings. So now the company is on the forefront of the next generation that approximates the ergonomics and the workflow that the current operating rooms are demanding. And the company just announced recent FDA approval this May of additions to its robotic spine surgery product lines. And in other industry news, workers' compensation premium is based on employment income and rising income equates to more premium dollars on average. It might therefore be reasonable to track employment income trends across various states as a leading indicator of workers' compensation premium market conditions. And using that metric, California does not look favorable in terms of employment income growth. Every year, states across the country compete with each other for people and their wealth, as millions of Americans move between states, and the stakes are very high. A growing population for the winners means an increasing tax base, economic growth, and investment. For the biggest losers, it means more difficulties in paying down debts, higher taxes, and fewer investments for the future. And according to the latest migration data released by the Internal Revenue Service, 
The nation's most recent winners of migration from other states are Florida and Idaho. Florida, the nation's perennial winner, gained the most people and income overall in 2020, while Idaho gained the most of both on a percentage basis. On the other end of the competition are states that have become perennial losers. California, New York, Illinois, and New Jersey once again experienced some of the nation's biggest losses of both residents and their money. These findings are based on a WirePoints analysis of the latest 2020 domestic migration data provided by the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS reviews tax returns annually to track when and where people move. It also aggregates the ages, income bracketses, and adjusted, adjusted gross incomes of its filers. Overall, Florida came out ahead with 167,000 net new people and $27.7 billion in net new taxable income. Texas was a runner-up with a net income gain of $6.3 billion, followed by Arizona with $4.8 billion. North and South Carolina rounded out the top five with net gains of $3.8 billion and $3.6 billion, respectively. On the losing side, New York suffered the worst outflow of money of any state in 2020, losing a net $19.5 billion in income, while a net of nearly 250,000 residents moved out. California was next losing a net $17.8 billion and 263,000 people. Illinois was third with a net loss of $8.5 billion and 101,000 people. Massachusetts and New Jersey were in fourth and fifth places. The problem with economic outflows, like in the case of California, is that one year's losses don't only affect the tax base the year they leave, but they also hurt all subsequent years as the losses pile up on top of each other year after year. And when a state like New York loses income to other states for 21 straight years, the numbers add up. The opposite is true for migration winners like Florida. Gains in people and income pile up on top of each other each year, building an ever-growing tax base. And a Palo Alto, California company, Hourly.io, a pay-as-you-go comp insurance provider, is growing its revenues 20% month over month. Hourly.io has built an app that tracks working hours, generates payroll, and then calculates and assigns workers' compensation insurance to individuals based on that information. And it just announced it has closed in on a deal that provides $27 million in new funding to be used to develop their technology. Hourly now has about 1,000 customers, all in the state of California, in areas such as construction, home services, accounting, and retail. And the company will continue enhancing its product to target more vertical markets. So what is Hourly doing going to do with the new $27 million in funding? They say they're <clears throat> planning to expand their InsureTech platform outside the state of California and make it available to one-third of the U.S. population by the end of 2023. 
this part of its larger vision, and it says it will completely change the workers' compensation game for good. Hourly said it is the first platform that lets employers run payroll, track time and attendance, and manage workers' comp insurance premiums all in one place. Directly linking payroll and workers' comp premiums are based on actual payroll, not a guess. And its pay-as-you-go model allows business owners to only pay for the coverage they use every day and every pay period. Arley's own birth came out of its founder's own experiences. While he initially moved to the United States, he first work, his first work experience was to help out in his family's construction firm, where he was tasked with any and all odd jobs relating to administration, and one of those involved handling its payroll. And he claimed it was a headache to deal with, since what really should have taken 10 minutes to do took him at least a day. And that was his impetus for building a platform to automate the process from tracking time worked through calculating payment and workers' compensation based on that as well. Arley's rise as part of a bigger shift scene and technology built for the work of World of Work, where hourly workers have become in, have come into focus more recently for a number of reasons. Perhaps the strongest of these has been the communications and productivity evolutions arising from the ubiquity of smartphones. Hourly.io is far from being the only startup tackling this general market, nor the specific task of fixing the very basic problems of organizing and paying these workers. Like others in the insurance technology space, there remains a lot of room for automating and improving processes that have been barely touched for years. Hourly says that it its revenues based on two service tiers with varying levels of features have been growing 20% month over month, although it does not disclose actual revenue numbers. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for, pa- for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.